Hi everyone, Josh and Ryan here, and welcome back to the 2% Podcast. Research shows if you put 100 random people in a room, somewhere amongst them, there'll be just two truly incredible, inspirational people who are living their lives to the fullest. In this podcast, we bring those exact people to you, week in, week out. 2% of a day is just half an hour, so thank you for taking 2% of your day to be educated and inspired by joining us on our journey as we learn the secrets, routines and dreams of the two percenters. And welcome back to the 2% podcast. Today we're joined by Lewis Alexander-Baxter. Lewis, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be involved. So really excited to have Lewis on. Lewis, if you could just give us a, a quick one, two minute bio of who you are and what we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I'm Lewis, as you say, 21 year old law student, mental health advocate, public speaker, and over the last few years have run a number of non-profit organizations. So my journey started probably back in 2016 when I had my own battles with mental health. I suffered with depression for many, many months. And when you have a lived experience with mental health, I think it drives you every day. Projects to get involved in charities which try to make meaningful difference. So the first organization that I launched is a national funding hub for mental health charities called the Blurred Line Group. And that launched in September 2018. And it's been a bit of a uh, a roller coaster of a journey, and obviously, with the current crises that we've all found ourselves in, our business models have to adapt quite significantly. And I speak quite openly about the fact that in, in early March, when the pandemic was sort of on its rise, we had to pivot completely to a new business, a new charity that we launched in late March, and that's called Chit Chat. And that has been probably the fastest growing organization I've ever been part of. It's been fantastic, really exciting, really fast moving, start of vibe, which you'd expect, and attracted uh, a lot of partners for corporate and also things like the National Lottery as well to get on board with us. So that's a bit of a snapshot of me. No, perfect. Thank you. And, and yeah, like you say, I, I've sort of been loosely following the chit chat journey on, on LinkedIn and it has seemed to have gone super, super fast since you uh, did those first couple of posts about the idea. And so we'll get into that later for sure. I think to start with though, seeing as it's the, the heart and the foundation of everything that you've done, like you said, it's that your own personal battle with mental health. If you could just sort of tell the listeners and us about that journey and how it inspired you to do what you do today? So depression controlled every part of my life and it controlled the things that you'd expect it to control. A lack of motivation, sleepless night after sleepless night, withdrawing myself from friends and family. But I just lost motivation for the things that I enjoyed. I loved playing football. I was fairly sociable. Um, kid. Or oh, sometimes I wasn't, but the most of the time I was pretty sociable. And I did very well at GCSEs. And my journey after that was really rocky. So I'd successfully done my GCSEs in, in July, as uh, June 2015. I'd started life at a sixth form in the September, doing two years at A-level, then with plans to go on to university. A sort of trajectory that many people listening and many people can resonate. And it was the first couple of weeks and months that I found the A-level really really difficult and I thought that was because of my lack of intelligence maybe I maybe I overperformed at my GCSEs and I, actually it was the mental health the depression that was eating away at me 
And it took me on a roller coaster journey. I remember Christmas in 2015 was really, really tough. I didn't really socialize at all. And Christmas was the time for bringing people together. And I just wanted to separate myself from those people. March 2016, after about six months battling with this depression and not knowing it at the time, just thinking that I wasn't fitting in, just thinking that there was something wrong with me and that I was an outcast from my friend groups. Actually, the symptoms were there of depression and I just didn't see them. Maybe that's because I should have talked about it earlier and got help and got support, but it just gnawed away at me so much that I kept those emotions within. And it was in March 2016 that I tried to take my own life. Uh, it felt the most sensible solution out of the very minimal solutions that I felt I was faced with. I just had no one to turn to. What I had kept within me for those months had bottled up to the extent that I had to take drastic action, or so I thought. Um, fortunately, I got talked down, and the rest is positive history. The day after, um, I spoke openly to my GP and got everything off my chest, even the small things that you wouldn't think of telling your GP, I told. And I stopped college, I got some uh, mental health support, counselling, CBT for a number of months, and then I rejoined a new sixth form in September 16 and then did two years, and then went on to university. But it does drive me, as you say, and everything I do, I know the difficulties of struggling with a mental health issue, the difficulties of being able to open up, and the difficulties of trying to navigate access to support when you often don't feel it's there. No, no, thank you for sharing that. And I think one of the really things interesting for me about that story is the fact that you said, you didn't really know that it was depression. I don't know if that's sort of my lack of understanding of mental health, but in terms of when did that sort of, is it only in hindsight that it hit you that was depression? Because I think obviously a lot of people struggle to open up about their mental health, even if they know they've got depression. So not even realizing that you have this issue, like it must be even harder to address the problem when you don't know you have it. Very true. And it also comes down to the societal stigma. And I'm not one of those people that says the stigma is the same as it was a number of years ago. No, there's been vast improvements. But I'm talking in a context of, you know, a number of years ago now, three or four years ago, and the setting was slightly worse than it is now, a less of a tolerance, less of an openness regarding mental health. And I think that you know, the symptoms were there of the condition of depression, but my understanding of the condition wasn't there. So the lack of motivation, the withdrawal from friends and family, not really eating much, started manifesting itself in, in physical conditions as well, which was interesting. So I had all these things sort of going on, your classic symptoms, but then also these so the unconventional symptoms as well. And of course, I'd heard of depression. I'd had family member, uh, an uncle of mine had, had suffered from depression. So it was not something I was completely in the dark with. But when you are going through those emotions, and there's lots going on age 16, 17, as, as, as everyone understands, uh, lots of battles, lots of identity crises that we all face, all these emotions, and then trying to com come to terms with the fact that you might be struggling with a mental health issue. It's quite overwhelming. No, for sure. I, I can imagine that. And I, I listened um, or, or watched you on another podcast where you mentioned that for you, it, it, it almost took you to get to that lowest point before you would start opening up and talking to people. So how would you, and I know it's always tricky to give advice on, on these sort of things, but 
if you were speaking to people now and they were listening, how do you get people to open up before they reach that worst case scenario? I think it comes down to trust. Finding someone, a group of people, or you know, just one person who you feel you can trust. And you've got to rack your brain. Sometimes that person doesn't come immediately to you. And it didn't come to me until I got to the bridge. I had very, very close relationships, certainly with my mum and with other people. I had really close relationships with, but I didn't want to be a burden to them. I didn't feel that my issues warranted being talked about. I just thought it was me going through those usual teenage cycles. So I, my strongest piece of advice is don't rush the process. Find your own time to open up. Know that there is someone out there, but you've just got to have that patience to find them. Because when you do and you sit down with them and you talk about those little things and you get those off your chest, you then feel really comfortable opening up about other things. And it's easier said than done. It's not the world's easiest thing to do. Um, people say that, oh, just talk about your mental health. Well, yes, but there's a whole journey to go on before you can just talk about your mental health. Building up that courage, building up the trust with the people you want to share those concerns with and not being afraid to just let all those emotions out and get everything on the table. Because once everything's on the table and everything can start being mapped out, and that road to recovery starts then. Yeah, fantastic. And before we get on to, to the organisations you've set up now to, to help people with mental health, um, as, you're, as you, you've also became a bit of a mental health influencer in, in a sense, in, in terms of your speaking and, and your advocacy around mental health. What is that like for you? Is it, is it a, a weird experience? Do you feel a responsibility when I'm sure you get a lot of questions and maybe DMs from people that are going through similar things? What, what is that like as, a, as an experience in the life that you live? I do it because I know it's the right thing. I share my story because I'm pretty confident and pretty comfortable being able to share that story. And whilst I can do that, and whilst I feel happy to do that, I will do that because I know it resonates with people. And I know it resonates with people because you do get those DMs. You get those questions during the, the talk, a discussion, conference, webinar, whatever. But you also get them after privately from people that weren't comfortable asking it during that time. And I think those are the most humbling because I can resonate with those people more than anyone else in that room. Because when I was struggling with my mental health issues, I wasn't the first to put my hand up and share my story. And do you know what? They are brilliant, those people that do, and share those stories in front of people. But you are equally as brilliant if you don't fancy chatting in front of 200, 1,000 people, but share your concerns after. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm someone with a lived experience. I'm someone that will signpost people when I can't give that advice that I need. But there is help out there. And I just reassure people, my word, what you've done in sharing your story, albeit to a complete stranger, is fantastic. I, I think the biggest one for me was someone that was really as taught in a school in city centre Manchester, which was a really fantastic school with a diverse community of students. And there was one child there that was very, very disruptive during the entire session. And it was slightly difficult me trying to navigate talking to 500 students and staff and this kid at the front being very disruptive. And at the end, when I talked and he actually listened to my story, he apologised and I resonated so much with that. And this kid was 12. And I know that he went on to do some fantastic things. 
with his life in sports particularly. So I always have these highlights and that's why I do it. Amazing. Uh, yeah, that's such a great, great highlight and, and story. And I think you draw attention to something that can perhaps be overlooked sometimes in the mental health sort of scene is that sort of focus on, I'll just talk, just share. And, and what you rightly identify and bring from your own experience is that everyone's lived experience is different and actually everyone's journeys are different. And the, the spectrum almost within not being able to share and being able to share something and then being able to, like you say, put your hand up at a conference or something is such a wide and broad level that actually sometimes in order to try and help each other, we might distill something that is really complicated down to a sentence like just share, just talk, that kind of thing. Do you think that that is a almost a detriment to the successes that we are seeing around mental health, that it's almost overlooking the complexities to a point? I think that's really fair. I think what I also take from what you shared there is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all policy. That we all have different experiences. And I know it's cliche. It is cliche when people say just talk because that's the last thing on someone's mind when they are going through mm. a breakup or a tough time at work where they feel this pressure is so immense. Talking helps. Talking is a part solution. Um, I think it can certainly uh, be a positive thing. I think we can all agree that talking and sharing our concerns in a small fashion or a completely large fashion is, is great. But it's only one part of the jigsaw puzzle. The other parts are making sure that access to support and services are there and inclusive to all. It's making sure that we make it destigmatized to talk from an early age. That's young people, age three, four, five and six, not necessarily talking about mental health, so like we are today but talking about things like sharing things with friends and being able to listen, listening skills, super important. So you're completely right. There is this big spectrum. Mental health isn't just once you've talked about it, you're fine. There's a lot more steps to follow up for that. Yeah, no, and I love that analogy of a, of a jigsaw puzzle and we'll come on to the value of conversation, I'm sure, in a little bit. So let's transition a little bit from your personal story and, and experience there to the blurred line group then. So what was the the gap, I suppose, between your experiences and then going to creating a, a funding hub? It might, it might seem to be a, a strange step perhaps to go straight in with funding. What, what was the sort of story there? So for me, in the UK, there are some fantastic mental health charities and I very rarely will name any on, on, uh, on camera or video or podcast because I think there are so many and suit different people's needs. But actually, when you ask people day to day at university or, or at work or at the coffee shop, where they have access support tends to be a local support service to them, a local community group or a walk and talk group or a knitting club they went to on a Thursday or a men's club that they just went to grab a coffee every Saturday after the football and chatted about their mental health. Those are the groups, social enterprises, small charities that need to be funded. Yes, the big charities need money. Of course they do, for their great campaigns and awareness. But it's the small grassroots organisations which help people day to day. And without funding, those people have no one to turn to. So as much as I'd love to just go and set up a mental health charity that provided X amount of people with counselling or CBT, actually I thought, let's flip it on its head. Let's do this bottom-up approach where we help the charities who are helping the people. And it's with that in mind 
that we've helped a number of charities through funding, but also through strategic support and mentorship as well. Because it's not all about money. It might just be a, dod, a, a nod in the right direction to access support themselves and just give them that helping hand in what they're doing. Because a lot of, uh, sort of government support is always thinking about, let's do this top-down approach with these charitable partners. Well, actually, in communities, in your town, in your city, in your workplace, in your school, that's where meaningful change happens, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and how do you go about prioritization and targeting of who you're going to support? Because when you break it down to localities and communities like that, there's so many across the, the UK. How do you go about starting with, with a mission like that? It's not been easy, and I think it's not been easy in the current climate that we've faced as well, where money is tight for the general public, money is tight for firms and central governments and local governments as well with, with, with everything that's been going on. So whilst the mission, it should be applauded, I think what we're doing is good. I think what we set out to do, this different approach, trying to do things differently is great. Uh, it hasn't been easy to get it off the ground in the uh, sort of scale that we thought it would. Uh, and also, as you said, we're prioritizing one charity over the other. For me, though, that comes down to, okay, that money, what is that money actually going towards, like, genuinely? And that's where we look at the cost breakdowns and we say that is making a meaningful difference to X amount of beneficiaries. For me, that's where I do the assessment above anything else. But it's not easy when you've got so many competing charities. Yeah. And so can... How do you get your funding to give to the, the other charities? Like, can people donate to the Blurred Line group or do you get it from corporate sponsors and things like that? How does that work? So the intention, and it still is, albeit I know we're going to talk about Chip Chatters taking up uh, all of my time, I would say at the moment. So if the Blurred Line group does continue in, in the fashion that it was uh, six, six months ago, we work with corporate partners, yet yeah, to have a little pot of money and make sure that money is distributed to local charitable causes that mean something to that corporate. We also ran uh, an event in the Northwest, which raised uh, a chunk of money. And instead of keeping it all to ourselves, we distributed 100% of it to local charities and projects. And they were projects that, it was almost like an accelerator grant that a, a startup would have. It was like that. These were ideas that were up here that we wanted to make into a reality because there are so many talented people out there with a fantastic idea to start a charity or start a good cause, but just don't really know what to do. So that's where we can help channel corporates funding, but also through our own fundraising efforts as well. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's really interesting. And I think it's, as you say, targeting towards those smaller community projects, which probably is going to have the more meaningful impact over that longer term. And so to move to, to chit chat then, so that is something that is more, more recent. That is March of, of this year, I think. And how is, is that something that has grown? How did that start in the, in the first instance, kind of what was the, the initial spark for, for chit chat for you? What unites us all is that need for human connection, that need to unite with someone else from a different background, over a conversation, over a brew and a biscuit, if you want, unless you're dieting like me. <laughs> the thing that this coronavirus exacerbated was that need, that people were isolated, people were in lockdown. But these issues that Chit Chat hopes to address have been going on for many, many years. 
The co-op and British Red Cross did a survey in 2019 that found 9 million people were always or often lonely. And another uh, uh, survey found that 1.9 million people regarded the TV as their best friend. And our vision is very, very simple. And that's to create a world where everyone has someone to chat to. And I think the, that's, what we've, that's what sparked the interest in setting up Chit Chat that we're in a period of lockdown. People are not going to be socializing like they were doing, you know, in January or February time. So we created a platform that brings people together and united over a conversation. So our first service that we launched was our phone line, quite an old fashioned conventional form of communication, but one that so many of us do, and I think should do more of on a daily basis. So we have volunteers on the phones throughout the week from nine till nine and just a safe, non-judgmental, casual place for people of all backgrounds, no matter your age, gender, sexuality, race, religion, where you're based in the UK, we are an inclusive service for you. And what I feel, and I think the big gap, the big USP for Chit Chat, where we fill the market, is that you can call about anything and everything. You don't have to be struggling. You don't have to have this label or that label. There's no stigma with chit chat. You can call about whatever you fancy, when you want and where you want, I suppose, from the comfort of your own home. As we look to expand and grow, we want to do a lot with uh, schools and universities, promoting those connections between kids of different backgrounds, cultures and communities. And I think we can do a lot in the corporate space as well. More workers working from home than ever before, and that not set to change until well into 2021 for a vast majority of firms. What can Chit Chat do to support employees, those working from home, those people who might not see anyone from day to day? That's what drives us in what we do. Yeah, and I mean, similarly to the Blurred Line Group, it's not, I, I admire your, your vision because it's a, it's a huge task. It's not an easy task at all to uh, set up a, essentially a call line for, for the nation. I mean, how many volunteers do you need to facilitate something like that? It's all about supply and demand, I suppose. It's all about, uh, you know, what demand we have for the service at the moment, which is that. And then as mm. we go, it will become that. And then we should connect the nation through conversation, which is the mission that we set out to do uh, in late March. Um, and we're monitoring that as we go by. Since we launched on a marketing spend of only a couple of hundred pounds, we chatted to over 400 people nationwide. And the highlights for me are those people who say they've not chatted to anyone that day, or have not chatted to anyone on the week before, or feel that their workplace isn't tolerant and accepting of them, and they don't feel comfortable opening up about whatever sometimes quite minuscule concern that they have. So we are keeping really open with what we do to make sure that we are truly for everyone. But as you say, it, it, it hasn't been easy sort of setting up a, a national organization and a phone line. But as we grow, as we do more marketing, as we do more advertising and push that service equally, we'll be doing more recruitment drives as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and the, the beauty of it is, is its simplicity. But I think also the fact that it's so simple and it can be for anything. You must 
get a wide or, or you're bound to at one stage get a, a wide range of callers a wide range of, of maybe issues or maybe not issues maybe just general chit chat as, as you say in that sense do you require volunteers to go through a training program and is there sort of signposting methods in place in terms of if someone is flagging something that you think maybe this volunteer cannot deal with themselves how, how does things like that work well the number of issues you've raised there are really really important for any charitable organization that could be dealing with people that are struggling and as we touched upon earlier there's this big spectrum of mental health and a big spectrum of many different conditions that chit chat needs to be aware of and signpost so our volunteers go through quite a rigorous training process but it's centered around things like safeguarding uh, crisis uh, management child protection stuff and how we handle and store people's data and when and in what circumstances we can uh, pass any of that data on. And I want to clarify on that because that sometimes comes across wrong. We are a confidential service, so people can call us and chat about whatever they want. But if there's an emergency and if someone needs some life saving treatment or the emergency services have to be called, we will intervene. And equally, if someone requires a little bit more support or guidance, uh, some counselling or a chat with a trained professional in, in, in a certain matter, we have an array of partners and our volunteers signpost to them. But we're always looking to improve. We're always doing training for our volunteers and making sure that we are fit for purpose and achieve best practice in what we do. Yeah, I love that. I think you're definitely building something that is, is robust. I think what you mentioned there, Josh, is, is so key. Like the breadth of, of the different issues there, I think, is, is both the biggest USP and perhaps one of the biggest drawbacks logistically. But to move to, to something that you mentioned before, Lewis, on a, on a workplace point and, and the kind of culture point, I suppose, as well. How do you think we can break down some of the, the stigma or the, the issues, perhaps in a workplace, perhaps in a, in a group or, or a community where talking about mental health conversation, the art of conversation isn't necessarily number one, number five, even 10th on the agenda. It's something that is really kind of low down. How can we break through those barriers to, to show the value of a simple conversation? What we found with Chit Chat is exactly that, that the, the power of a conversation should not be underestimated. It is the center of the problems. So what are our key messages from a brand's perspective? And we are currently doing a bit of a refresh of our brand at the moment. And that's centered around conversation at our core. Conversation is the center of everything that we do. And we believe that conversation should be at the center of every workplace as well. But here's the caveat. 10 minutes ago, I was saying that talking doesn't stop or talking is only one part of the solution. And that's why we fit in this plethora of different support are offered to corporates. We're not saying we're the solution. We are saying we are one arm of the solution. And I think the key thing, what Chit Chat wants to do with corporates in the well-being space and the culture space and the team building space, some of our plans for 2021 certainly infringe upon that. We want to be fun. We want to be breaking down barriers. We want to be getting people wanting to come to our sessions because we're playing games, because we're doing team building away days, because we're making, we're putting the fun into fundamentally boring well-being programs. That is what we want to do in the corporate space because I am sick of going to panels and conferences and to workplace well-being programs and reading my script they, the, the, the execs at the back tick me off, say, well done, we've done our workplace wellbeing programme for this year. I'll see you again next year. What can we do throughout the year? 
I'm not going to mention the company, but what I love about this company, that's a huge communications company, do a lot of PR across, across the world, they get me in regularly and also get jugglers in. They get sports people in, they get athletes in, they get musicians in, they do open mic nights, they do virtual karaoke nights, they do fun things integrated with things that might be a little bit more serious. And that's the only way that we can truly shape internal culture in the workplace from my perspective put a bit of fun in that yeah i love that i think your your passion there on that sort of mini rant definitely definitely comes across <laughs> even if even if i might say that the is a bit of a stretch to go put the fun in fundamentally wrong well bear you know well paying workshops but we'll let you off uh, on that one because it definitely for another episode of the two percent podcast thanks so much for tuning in We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you. So please get in touch. And if you have a question you want answering, send it in to us using Anchor Voice Messages and you can feature in a future episode. All the links are in the description. Stay motivated, follow your dreams and as always, do it with a smile.